0: Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, Find out which episodes are coming up and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and we're going to be talking a lot about metabolism, weight loss bloating, loss of energy, and how we can turn that around. As most of us pretty much know that we've had something like that, probably during this perimenopause transition. And I am delighted to be joined by registered holistic nutritionist, Lara Frengian, all the way from Canada. Welcome, Lara. Thank you so much, Clarissa. It's my absolute pleasure, and I'm excited to dive into this conversation with you on really how women can find and work within a framework, not just random, in order to make them feel better and, I think, look better, have more confidence. But, Lara, that wasn't where your all started, was it? You were a corporate controller
1: and CPA. What a career change. <laughs> Tell me about what triggered that change. I've been interested in nutrition when I was deciding what path to take in university. One of the things that I was really interested in, passionate about was nutrition because I struggled with disordered eating when I was younger. So I just thought if I just know what to do, if I just know, you know, what foods are good for us, then this all could go away. Of course, it's not that easy, but so it was always an area of interest. And so it continued on. And I just found myself in a place later on in life where I had decisions to make and I really recessed what I wanted to do. And I was honest with myself and I thought, you know what, I could do this part time. So I studied part time. I worked as a nutritionist part time. I I had my day job and then I had my passion project. And then I got to a place where I could do it full-time in 2020, right before the pandemic. It's, It's worked out well. Yeah, I'm really loving what I'm doing.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Talk about your own journey with your weight and your health as you entered your 40s. What did you notice was the big changes for you?
1: Yeah, I think it started in my late 30s where one of the things that I noticed was my energy my energy started to just decline after I had my kids in my early, late 20s, early 30s. I did, I, I was stretched thin, etc. But it was nothing compared to what I started to experience as I approached 40 and then definitely increased. I'm now 47. And I actually feel better than I did in my 30s. Even I, if I think back to my yeah early 30s, when I had the kids and they were little, but yeah, that's what I started to notice. So it started with my energy and then it trickled into my digestion and it's, I started to experience more bloating, terrible bloating. If you go to my Instagram page, I have some of my pictures really just to encourage women that it's very possible to heal the body and reverse many of our symptoms, not just lose weight, but really regain your health. And that's what I really want for women is to for us to just regain our health and vitality and, yes, look amazing. Looking good is very important to me, but not at the cost of feeling good. And then I started to develop eczema. So all these pesky things started to pop up. And the worst was actually my anxiety and depression. Nothing diagnosed, but I was extremely anxious all the time. And I could not understand what was happening in my body. I was so confused. I couldn't sleep at night. I was irritable. But forget irritable. I just, I felt like I was losing my mind. I I, I couldn't gain control of my thoughts and my emotions. And I really had no idea what was happening to me until... I went to see my doctor and she was the one who said, it's probably perimenopause and and like in a very passive way, just, and I thought perimenopause, this was, I was 40, this was five years ago, I was 42 and I thought, that doesn't happen until you're 50 something. (laughs) It was brand new. I hadn't even had the thought. And the only solution she had for me was the birth control pill, which I knew was not a solution. I knew it wouldn't. So I, I knew that much. And, and here I am eating amazing. Like I'm a nutritionist at this point. I'm practicing. I'm helping people feel better, lose weight. But my own health is deteriorating and deteriorating at a really fast pace. And I fast forwarded and I thought, if I'm feeling like this at 42, what's it going to look like? at 52. What's what am I going to look and feel like at 60? Like it just it was a very scary thought and I knew that there had to be more and I needed to find the solution cuz popping a birth control pill or even looking at hormone replacement therapy without addressing the root cause for me cuz I started to investigate that as well, but I just found another path which thankfully has worked out for me and Now I help other women get off this crazy ride because it's a scary one to be on when you start to feel like you're losing your mind. That's what I felt like. I felt like I was losing my mind.
0: Yeah. And I can
1: relate to that.
0: And so can so many of the women that listen to this podcast that it's sometimes not the fact that we're putting on some weight, although bloating is no fun. No. No. And, and really can impact our mental health. But it's the fact, as you said, you got you feel like you're going a bit crazy and no one is really offering great solutions.
1: Yeah, no, they're really not. And uh, it's a lonely place. And I think that's what I didn't want for other women. I didn't want them to feel alone and hopeless and scared. I was really scared. And what's funny is I, I talked to my husband about it. And he doesn't remember it because I really protected everyone around me and I kept it to myself and I felt so alone and yeah, yeah, wasn't a good place to be. No. And I think that's also
0: what we often do, isn't it? We keep on trying to keep on caring for our families and behaving in a certain way, but that isn't always the
1: best for us, is it, Lara? No, it's absolutely not. It's actually the opposite of what we need. And we'll talk about that today as to how to reverse this. How do we yeah. cope?
0: So you obviously went on your own healing journey, but you were already a registered holistic nutritionist. What were some of the steps that you took
1: along the way?
0: Sure. To start with? yeah.
1: Yeah, I first had to understand what was happening to my body. So I bought lots of books on hormones, I started to read textbooks. I read books from whoever that I could read on what is happening to my body. I learned what was happening to my body and that my hormones were fluctuating. And so that was the, really the first step to just understanding because my thyroid scores, although they were fine, really, my doctor only tested my TSH levels at that point. But And then I asked for further testing. And even my TSH levels, I learned that although they were within range, they were like five point something, and they should have been under two. And I thought that's problematic. And then I asked for more testing in my T3 and et cetera. Those were also problematic, and I was developing antibodies. So I thought, okay, maybe that's it. Maybe it's a thyroid thing. And so that led me down certain level of research and reading papers and I love reading journals and I'm a geek I like there's the accountant in me that likes to vet things and read data and look at numbers and etc so yeah it, it has definitely come in handy that side of my personality and my brain so I started to just look at research papers and see what they said and I came across a really interesting area So I started to understand hormones that progesterone flux goes down and estrogen goes erratic and cortisol is a huge player, et cetera, and thyroid that impacts all your thyroid. So I started to understand that connection of all of that and where the weight gain came in. I reached a point where I was like, you know what, if I have to have more fat on my body, I'm okay with it as long as I could get a handle on my mental health. That's really where I started. And then I started to read up on minerals and nutrients and nutrient deficiencies. Now, at this point, I was predominantly plant-based. So I started to add back eggs and dairy and meat and fish. I started slowly. And I slowly did start to feel better because I realized that I was deficient in nutrients that my body didn't have. And it could not produce the hormones without those nutrients. No,
0: I think that's very true. And I think we are recognizing that plant-based is a good base, but for some of us, it might not be enough. And I think that's how do you balance that. That's really important. So how long, Lara, as you began to change your diet, did it take for you to actually notice positive changes in your well-being?
1: I'd say six months. At the six-month mark, I realized that my eczema actually cleared right away. Yeah. So I started to research minerals and I don't know. So I, I got more certifications. I came, I don't know if you know him, Ray Pete. So I started to read up on his work and I started to read up on more Lee Robbins from the root cause protocol. And I started to understand the importance of nutrients in our diets like retinol and copper. And I signed up with Morley's program and I learned more on your mitochondria, et cetera. So I started to integrate nutrients that were really deficient in my diet, like retinol and lots of magnesium and good fat like butter and ghee and more animal fat actually into my diet. And of course, I love plants. That's really why I was geared towards plant-based. It was so easy for me. I love vegetables. So I still kept that, but I started to integrate an area uh, like of nutrients, really unique nutrients uh, that my body needed. I think one of the mistakes that we make is we just generally supplement. We just have generic supplements that we take. And actually once The first step was I cut out all the supplements that I was taking from zinc and a bunch of stuff that we're told to take and they're good, etc. But once I cut them out, my eczema actually started to clear because what I didn't realize is that they were causing imbalances in other minerals in my body. And they were causing more stress on my body. And that's where really the eczema was coming from. Once I started to add back things that my body needed, I ran blood work, I ran hair tissue tests, I understood what my body was deficient in, and my anxiety levels started to come down. So that was one area where I have three things, three pillars that I work on with clients. The first one is to master your metabolism. And your metabolism isn't just to lose weight and your thyroid. It's how do you metabolize food? How do you digest? And this was my holistic nutrition stuff. I was working on gut stuff with clients. So that was innate to what I did. But I also learned that when we're deficient in certain nutrients, certain minerals, we're not going to produce the right stomach acid. Our gut health is going to feel inflamed. So the first area is really mastering your metabolism. I started to eat more protein. I balanced my blood sugar. I changed the way that I was eating from grazing to three square meals and yeah. all of that. Yeah. So that was the first area. The second area is, was to really work on my hormones, what was happening with my yeah. hormones. And And for me... And for a lot of women, it's actually cortisol. Cortisol, stress, your stress hormone is the thing (laughs) that's triggering everything else. (laughs) Because if I think back to what was happening in my life during the time that I started to experience these changes at 42, one, my hormones were starting to shift, which was very stressful on my body. Two, my lifestyle was really stressful. I was trying to do this Whole nutrition practicing while still having a a full-time job, corporate job. I was working in a place that I didn't necessarily love. There were a lot of stressors and I didn't have a lot of coping mechanisms. I wasn't napping if I wanted to nap. I just was not allowing myself to do the things that my body wanted to do. And that was causing a lot of stress on my body Balancing the hormones is the other pillar that we work on. And the final one is really eating intuitively, really listening to your body. Like, what does your body want? What do you gravitate towards? Do you have a healthy relationship with food? Was I forcing myself to eat certain things when I didn't want to? Was I depriving myself? of eating, let's say, meat when my body wanted it. My psychology and my will didn't allow me to have it. Really Mm -hmm. being honest and developing a healthier, freer relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And this is depending on who the person is. We start on different pillar. Uh, But I think this one is the one that we're often missing on because a lot of people will come to me, tell me what to eat, tell me what to not eat yeah and this is a hard one right because it's it's a little bit more free-flowing than that (laughs) we have to tell our allow our bodies to guide us and it's a lot of work Yeah.
0: yeah and I think that's something that we are not used to doing but you're right how then when we eat intuitively do we distinguish between cravings and actually eating intuitively
1: yes yeah um yeah, it's funny. I was speaking with a client right before this call. And it's, we have to understand that a lot of the things that we do are really subconscious. And there's two things that one is, one, it's physiological. And the mm-hmm. second is psychological. And physiological is you look at what's she was having some sugar cravings, which had actually gone away once she balanced her meals and added more protein and she was eating. She wasn't fasting in the morning and she was actually fueling her body and not starting with a coffee, et cetera. So that had gone away and then it suddenly came back. And she was like, I don't have willpower. I don't know what happened to my willpower, et cetera. And so we talked through it. And what she recognized was she's going through a stressful state and she had just had a talk with her therapist that morning and a lot of stuff had come up. And her, and it's a natural mechanism for her body to help her cope through food. It's learned behavior, right? Your subconscious knows that those that donut is going to make you really happy. Don't worry about it. Just have the donut, right? So you're not consciously having that donut. It's just... Your body guides you. So I think there's really a balance with intuitive eating because you can't, I don't believe you should just have the donut and just you want the donut, have the donut, have the ice cream. It's there's, I always go back to, is this worthy to be in your body? Is going, is this going to build you up? There's room for the donut, but it has to be a conscious choice that you're making. Yes. Not an emotional one that you're really denying. So once she understood the whole, there's a cue, routine, reward to any behavior at your, the subconscious level. Once you start to dismantle that, then, and you're making conscious decisions, no problem. There's no, I don't, I think everything fruit could fit as long as it's not your therapist, as long as it's not a crutch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean- like that because that makes sense to me that you're eating that food because you want to en- just want to enjoy it not because you're cupboard picking for the sake of it yeah. to just soothe something that you could soothe in a different way
1: exactly yeah and i think being honest with yourself whatever you're experiencing in life right i think it's a good thing and feeling emotions that are easier to ignore it's actually a good thing we're Yeah, I used to work at a, when I first started, I was working in a Chinese medicine clinic. And when they would treat patients, often, like all these emotions would come up, people would cry, they might be angry. And that's because we don't express a lot of our emotions, and they actually get trapped in different organ systems. They do. And expressing them and feeling them is actually a very healthy human process that we have to go through. It's just some of us don't have the tools to deal with them, right? No.
0: no, that's very true. I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner. So a big part of my work in is working with emotions and recognizing for the listeners, Chinese medicine isn't really about just your physiology. It's deeply connected to your spirit, but your spirit is expressed through emotions. So yeah. working on the emotions is a big part of our... Healing process whether Absolutely. that's our gut health or our mental health that the working with less helpful and bringing in more helpful emotions is very important. You touched on briefly there Lara, something when you mentioned your client about fast her fasting intermittent fasting has become incredibly popular. How does it or doesn't it play into? this
1: time of our life? What's your view on this? Great question. So I think fasting has its place, but it has to be done in the right way. So during perimenopausal years, so when your body is under a great amount of stress, fasting is actually very stressful on the body because if you are under a lot of stress or if your blood sugar is dysregulated, what happens is cortisol rises to make up for the food that you're eating. So cortisol is your stress hormone. It um, triggers the liver to secrete stored glycogen. It gives your brain fuel. So your, your brain really predominantly runs on glucose. So when your body is under a lot of stress, and this is what I found, personally, and I find with most clients that when we, you can do shorter fasts, but I just generally, okay, this is my general guidance, is I would not recommend prolonged fasts for women, even prolonged overnight fasts. So when I first started to heal my body, I had to have a bedtime snack. I became a child. (laughs) You give a kid a bedtime snack so they sleep well. I had to give my body permission to do that. And my sleep, oh my goodness, my sleep came back because I would wake up in the middle of the night. So if you wake up at 2, 3, 4 a.m. and cannot go back to sleep, that is actually cortisol rising. Cortisol is your hormone that actually wakes you up in the morning. Cortisol rises in order to, again, boost your blood sugar. Cortisol will wake you up. You cannot fall back asleep when there's cortisol rushing in your bloodstream. So having a bedtime snack will actually regulate your blood sugar through the night and you will sleep better. And guess what? You'll actually lose weight <laughs> because <laughs> the problem is stress, like our stress hormones are impacting significantly our metabolism. Our, yeah. I, I still try to, I do overnight fast now. I'm in a place where I can, but I'm breaking my fast with a breakfast. And I'm following my hunger cues. And if you do not, I have a lot of clients where they say, Oh, I don't get hungry in the morning. Part of that is your cortisol is spiking far too high in the morning. And that actually prevents you from getting hungry. So you have to train your body that it's going to eat again. And once you start to eat, the appetite comes back and you feel energetic and you. The afternoon cravings go away and energy is more stable in the afternoon and everything improves. And it's just magical that, ooh, food does that. (laughs) Nourishing, (laughs) nutrient dense food with potassium and magnesium and copper and retinol, it does that. And starving and intermittent fasting doesn't.
0: No, because you you just run on empty,
1: don't you? You just run on empty and then you crash. Yes. And then you crash. Like, it's almost magical. Clients will come back the, after the first couple of weeks. I feel so much better. I actually have energy. And that's usually the first thing that comes back is energy. And sleep improves. Those are the first two things that happen uh, when we make these changes. When you actually have breakfast, you, you have the coffee after breakfast, so I don't know, one of the fears that people have is that I'm going to take their coffee away. I would love it if we weren't so reliant on coffee, but I don't take anybody's anything away. That's how I roll and people are shocked. But if you put it after breakfast or with your breakfast, it actually doesn't have that cortisol spiking effect. And you will not feel as jittery and you, it will not impact your sleep as much, etc., yeah, it's really amazing when we make sound nutrition decisions, eat real food, yeah. eat enough protein, have a breakfast, have a balanced lunch, and then everything changes. It's amazing. Yeah, and when you talk about enough
0: protein, what is enough protein for women in perimenopause, menopause?
1: Yeah, it depends on your body, how tall you are. I'm a very petite person, so I will need less than the average person. But I'd say calculate about 25% of your calories should be coming from protein. So for the average person, that's 35 grams of protein per meal. And it's not a whack of bodybuilding, etc. will have a lot more protein, but that's plenty of protein. That's what I work on. 25% of your calories from protein, give or take, there's room. But it really does. There's lots of research supporting that. Mm-hmm. Diabetics, pre diabetics, where they, when they had a protein balanced breakfast, protein rich breakfast versus a carbohydrate, their blood sugar balances throughout the day. It's yeah. like that breakfast is so critical to telling your blood sugar what to do for the entire day. Like you mess up breakfast, yeah. your blood sugar is up and down. Yeah. You mess up lunch, no problem. <laughs> If you had a good breakfast, it's really amazing. Yeah. So we're really talking,
0: aren't we, about maybe a move a bit away from the sugary cereals that have become the norm to eggs, to some fish, to
1: a bit like an Asian
0: breakfast, (laughs) tofu, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So whatever you gravitate towards, that's a protein source that your body likes. And then you eat it. My body loves eggs. Yeah. It just, it really does well on eggs. It doesn't do so well on tofu. My, that's what my body is, right? And, yeah. but you do what your works for your body, what works for your digestive system. But yeah, make sure you have definitely no sugary breakfast. There was actually a cereal study where they fed, it was a rat study. They fed the rats cereal cardboard, the cardboard box from the cereal, and something mm-hmm. else. Guess who died first? Which rats died first? The people that ate the cereal, yeah. <laughs> the the cereal. little rats, yeah, they are died because of the sugar. Longer, it's amazing. That's
0: crazy. But so really we are recommending – I mean, there are some cereals that are non-sugary like porridge and things like that, aren't sure there, that people can choose or even whole, sure. those whole wheat biscuits that – I had as a child
1: before sugary cereals were more yeah, popular. Kind of to things. Add more protein to it, right? It's, yes, it's you do. fine to have some carbohydrates, right? So we're talking 25%. So some carbohydrate is fine, but predominantly, especially breakfast, I like to have more fat and I like to have more protein with a little bit of carbohydrates to give me some energy. But otherwise, it's predominantly, it's, I'm not going to, I don't want people to spike their blood sugar too high in the morning. No. Um, And then
0: what you're saying is that it's good if we do it at lunch, but if lunch is a bit messy, it's not the end of the day, but then really good dinner. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That really throws a lot of the restrictive eating type approaches that women have traditionally done out the window where does exercise fit into this picture Mm, in terms of our weight our bloating
1: yeah so again unfortunately or fortunately you have to listen to your body and it depends on where you are so when I first started I had to do away with my high intensity workouts I, I used to love running I still love running it just I love the high it gives me but I had to give it up And I had to start walking. So that's all I could handle when I first started working out. Sorry, when I first started on this healing journey. And then what... So it depends on where you are, right? Depends on where you are, what your body allows you to do. At this point, I love weight training, resistance training... For most clients, I start them off with just walking to make sure that uh, they don't further stress their bodies out. And you have to listen to how you feel after workout. If you exercise and you need a nap after the workout and you're not getting that high or you need a nap an hour after the workout, that's a sign that exercise is far too stressful for your body. So movement is really important. Because we are losing muscle mass as we age. So that's where the resistance training. So I love yoga. I love Pilates. I do some resistance kind of workouts. I don't love weightlifting. I do a little bit of it, but it's just not my thing. So you do have to find something that you enjoy because you want longevity. You don't do something that you hate. But spending time in nature and walking, no one (laughs) could be. That is beneficial for everybody across the board.
0: Yeah. Definitely, and there are ways to add resistance there, says me, who bought some new walking poles that have 6-kilogram yeah. resistance. Wow. But you wow. can buy them with up to 10 here. I live in Sweden. You can buy them up to 10K, and I thought 10's a bit much. We'll start at 6, but they often come with a 4-6-kilogram to six kilogram resistance, so hmm. you've got a bit of that while you're yeah. out having a walk so <laughs> to the listeners is a free tip there so yeah absolutely and I think that message is beginning I think to feed into I know my listeners know that resistance training is very important but as you said Laura finding something you love doing is super important and walking is a great way to get started yeah. such a great way to to get moving and on the days we feel low in energy we can usually find time for a short walk.
1: Yes. And, and actually will pick up your energy um, because Chinese medicine, right? Moving the blood around, mm-hmm. moving your chi, moving your energy is really yes. important. Um, connecting with nature has, you know, healing effects. So it's, yes, it's definitely a great place to start if you don't move at all. Like I do want to stress that moving is very important for your hormone health, yeah. et cetera, longevity, heart health. But finding something that really works for you and listening to your body through it is equally as important. Absolutely.
0: Weight loss remains quite a top of agenda because for a lot of women, because I think we put on a lot of weight, can put on a lot of weight at this time. Yeah. What are some of the alternative processes or approaches we can take to losing weight in perimenopause if we really suddenly bumped up the 10
1: kilos or so? Sure, the first thing that I would say is work on replenishing your body with the right nutrients. We often go to, and these are the comments that I get from people, et cetera, is I'm, I've cut down my food intake, I've cut things out, I'm doing the intermittent fasting. So I think it's the first step is to really reassess that and look, log into Fitness Pal and or something like that and log the food that you're eating and look to see how many calories you're eating and look to see what nutrients you're taking in through your food and see if that's sufficient. See how that compares to RDA standards and then start to add more nourishing food. So you don't have to take away food. I actually up calories. So I had a new client yesterday, and as we were assessing what she's eating, she's like at 1,300 calories. For her body, that's far too little. It will not allow her to function, produce cells, forget energy. She's, we're, our yeah. cells are dying, and they're, we're recreating them through food. need food what are you eating? Are you eating nourishing food? Are you eating like things that have nutrients in them? Yes. If you eat a white bread and a white pasta and you're at 1,200 calories, you're not going to lose weight because nutrients actually what are what our metabolism and our hormones run on. So be honest with yourself. Replenish, add back vegetables, add back fruits, add legumes and fish and seafood and some meat and see how your body starts to feel. Move your body. I think movement, yes. that's one of the things that I see because we feel so tired. It's one of the things that easily goes. And as you sit, you're not burning as much. So just try to move around as much as you can. Do things that invigorate you. Spend time outdoors. I yeah. think this one is really Underrated. More people are starting to talk about it, but instead of going to your phone in the morning, expose your eyes to natural light before you look at electronic devices. This whole blue light. We're so connected to nature. We rise with sunrise and we sleep with sunset. That red light connection to sunlight is really important for hormone health. And people are like, how is this going to help me lose weight? It will because. Quiets down cortisol. It improves melatonin production, so you're sleeping better. And there's lots of research that when you sleep better, you're actually less craving, less. You're producing more energy. You're losing weight in your sleep. We're burning fat. And if you talk to perimenopausal, menopausal women, that's one of the things that we complain about, right? I can't sleep through the night. I can't sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Definitely. So really great, achievable, practical tips that people can do just right there about what are you eating? How much are you eating? And getting moving, getting light into our eyes, helping to support that cortisol down regulation, recognizing that we need cortisol. I mean, it's an yes. important hormone to yeah. get us going, but we're also just in regulating it we're helping ourselves if we can sleep we don't crave as much we lose weight it's it's not that hard in reality but it's still hard to do yes because we're not used to doing it yeah yeah because
1: it's behavior change it's changing the things that you've known to do and the information out there is so conflicting and there's so much noise so many recommendations yeah it's exhausting and it's exhausting mm-hmm. for us in this field. I can't imagine mm-hmm. how exhausting it is for people out just trying to be healthy, trying to make good choices. Mm-hmm. It's, it is a very confusing world that we live yeah. in, but you know what I go back to? I often go back to, because we're all culturally very different and I go back to what did your grandmother, great-grandmother eat? Yes, yes. Now, there's a caveat there. The only caveat is that they moved more than we do today. So if they had a predominantly carbohydrate-rich they diet, they were actually burning it off. They were eating that way because yes. they were burning it off. Um, yeah.
0: Housework was hard work. Laundry, what? brushing, floors. They washed floors every day. They did yes. all hand dishwashing, hand clothes washing. These things were big. And they may have had a small farm if they lived in the countryside. So yeah, Yeah. their lives were much harder than ours, but there's still indications of uh, what some of the basics were that they had. And they had a diet that was far
1: lower in in sugar. Far lower in sugar, and they had real fat in their diet. This is one of the new things that I'm really harping on with people because I've seen such a transformation in my health when... I've been vigilant about processed fats like seed oils and canola oil, and which is in everything. It's in everything. You're everything. so right. It's
0: everything. One of the things I'm, I'll share here with you, Lauren, with my listeners, is I started to drink oat milk because I thought it was good for me. And then I started to look at what was there. Oh, it's got rapeseed oil. I've gone back to drinking good old-fashioned milk yes and I lost weight
1: yeah I feel
0: better right and I keep seed oils out and olive oil and butter are in okay the butter doesn't spread as much but hey what's right
1: keep a little bit of room temperature that's what I do there's always a little bit of butter out it gets used really quickly It's never gone bad. Grass-fed butter, it's rich in retinol, butyric acid. Mm. There's there's actually nutrients. Like when I talked to my mom, they lived in the countryside with my grandmother. She would mix. They would make their own butter. She would have the animal, render the fat, and mix it with butter. And that was her cooking. It was lard and butter mixed together. That's what they were cooking with. So it was a very high-fat diet. It was also carbohydrate-rich, lower in protein because it was expensive. Animals were expensive, but that's what they lived on. And they, my grandmother lived until she was 101. She passed a couple of years ago and she was healthy till the day she died. And it's these seed oils, like I could see Mm -hmm. people who consume a lot of, they burn easily. Once you cut them out, IBS, bloating diminishes, energy increases, And exposure to sun is no longer problematic because your skin no longer burns, but Mm -hmm. it tans because it has retinol, it has copper from the food that you're eating in order to produce vitamin D in the body and in order to prevent burning because your body is producing melanin to darken the skin instead of it oxidizing and burning. It's a transformative thing that we can do is just, if you just do that one thing, one thing, watch and remove all seed oils, read the ingredients. If it has any seed oils, then it's going to be rancid by the time it's put into that product. Rancid, rancid. And Um, rancid
0: oils are oxidative
1: oils. Exactly. They're like... I don't care how much antioxidants you eat. There's no catching up to it. I read somewhere it takes 180 days to detoxify to remove from your body the impact of that seed oils. So that chip that you eat will impact your system for 180 days. Now, it doesn't mean you can't eat those things. Just look for products that are maybe cooked in coconut oil. Coconut yes. oil and palm oil, because palm oil is a, is a saturated fat. Even okay. though it's, it could be processed, it will not be rancid because it's a saturated fat. The bonds are tight and et cetera. Yes. It will not turn trans fat. Yeah. So you can have packaged goods. Just be vigilant with what you're looking for. And unfortunately, even if it says organic, it doesn't mean that it doesn't contain those oils. No. So those
0: are good things. to. And olive oil always a great olive oil butter that's what you'll find in my pantry and coconut oil yeah. I do- And co- same here so yeah we're aligned on that one Laura it's so fascinating just to to talk here and to talk about some of the really practical and simple things that women can do to gain more energy cut back on the bloating and maintain a healthy weight where can people find out more about the work that you're doing and connect with you
1: Sure. So they can go to my website, nutritionherway.com, and they can send me a DM, a message from there. They can connect with me on Instagram. Again, my handle is nutritionherway.com. Sorry, nutritionherway. Send me a DM, tell me where you heard me, and we can start chatting. I do offer free calls just to see. I want to work with people that connect with me on a human level and that I connect with. Right. And we're going to be working together for a while and I want that to be fun for both of us. So I do offer a free 30 to 45 minute call to see if we would be a good fit for each other. And if we connect, then, you know, we go from there, but that's a great Avenue. So they can find that all on my Instagram as well as on my website. That's fantastic, Lara, and we will put that in the show notes. And to
0: thank you for coming on Thriving Through Menopause and really giving such a clear view on how we can be well, really, at this time. So thank
1: you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Clarissa.
0: Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that, because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening, and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.